Thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Acts chapter 13 is where we are. If you need a Bible, there should be a black hardback ESV somewhere near you in the pew. And if you need a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can take that with you today as you leave. Uh, But as we turn there, happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone. Uh, It's good to see you here and uh, good to see you're not yet traveling. So I know that's uh, what this weekend means for a lot of us. It is a weekend uh, begins summer and it feels like summer outside at that, you know, nice 50 something degrees this morning. But uh, but it's really a weekend to just, uh, you know, have a memorial for those who have fought for our freedom. And so uh, we do pause. We do recognize those who have, uh, who have sacrificed so much for freedom. Uh, it's good to see you back, Matthew. Thanks for your service, buddy. Good to have you back home. And uh, we, we do pause and we do recognize that freedom comes at a cost. And the reason we know freedom comes at a cost is because it's exactly what Scripture teaches us. Our freedom that we have in Christ came at an ultimate sacrifice, and it came from him giving up his life for us. And so we do pause, and we do remember that today. And so uh, as we're getting into God's word, we're going to see that the journey begins, and it is the first missionary journey of Paul. And so for many of you, as summer begins, you've began to make your plans for a journey. Maybe you've uh, already got your agenda written out. You know exactly where you're going for summer vacation. Uh, I just talked to someone. They said, you know, they're going all over the West, and uh, they've got their, their itinerary set. Maybe you got your bags packed. Maybe you're one of those people who like to get up early early, early. So you can get past Atlanta before rush hour traffic. That's always a good idea. And uh, if you're heading south. And so uh, the journey is going to begin here for Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. You know, in Acts, as we've been going through over, you know, a couple of weeks, as we've uh, finally made it to Acts chapter 13, um, several weeks now, Acts 1 through 12 basically chronicles the life of the early church as it's beginning. And as we get into 13 and through 28, we're going to see how uh, God expands his kingdom throughout the Roman Empire. And so it begins with these men being willing to go out and make disciples. Disciples who make disciples. Now, I'm in a... uh, in a group of pastors in the local area, and we're reading through a book together uh, by an author named Mancini. And he's got a phrase in there that says, uh, there are disciple makers and there's disciple fakers. And so I'm gonna kind of use that this morning and tell us that we all have an opportunity to either be a disciple maker or a disciple faker. It's really, it comes down to this, disciple makers pursue making disciples. Disciple fakers pursue looking like disciples. What is our goal in being redeemed in Christ? Is it obedience to Christ in that we want to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And that's exactly what we see with Paul and Barnabas is they want to be disciple makers. You know, my son, he used to love to skateboard. And uh, he would, we, would, we would go and we would see other skateboarders and uh, he would be like, Dad, you see how they're holding their skateboard? And I'd be like, with their hands? I, you know, like... He'd be like, no, that's called a mall grab. That means they're not real skateboarders. And I was like, what? He's like, no, they just want to look like a skateboarder, Dad. They're not real skateboarders. You can tell how they carry. Am I right, son? Yeah, see, you're smiling. You know, so I was like, how, do, how can you tell? And I was like, well, how do you tell the difference between a disciple maker and a disciple faker? Is it how they carry their Bible? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I don't think that's it. But... How do you know? Well, you see the lineage of faith that comes out of their life. 
that there was someone who counted the cost, who decided, you know what, today I'm going to give my entire life to Jesus Christ. And if I'm gonna give my entire life to Jesus Christ, that means I'm gonna be a disciple maker, not a disciple faker. And an article that I read this week said this, in a society where almost everyone can read, the best we've been able to produce is people who can quote Bible verses like a parrot, but struggle to live what they have been taught throughout the week. Disciple makers and disciple fakers. Jesus had a lot to say about being a disciple. We'll, we'll get to Acts, trust me. We'll get there in just a second. But John 8, 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. It's not just agreeing with his word. It's abiding with his word. There's a difference there. And then Paul would say in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. There is a abiding in the word and there is a walking in him. There is a daily sacrifice that must be made. Jesus, he had crowds of people following him. In Luke chapter 14, he talks about the cost of being a disciple. It says this, verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Keep going, verse 31. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Now, when we think about discipleship in that term, it gets a little more serious, doesn't it? I mean, he says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let me ask you, would you describe your life as a life that's going after Jesus? Going hard after Jesus, coming after him. And if, if you haven't renounced everything, you're gonna find it really difficult to come after Jesus. You see, it's one thing to be in the crowd as a follower of Jesus, but it's another thing to come after Jesus, to pursue Jesus, to abide in Jesus, and to surrender all that you have to live for Jesus. Being a disciple will be difficult. It will be difficult. And as we get into this section of Acts, we're going to see how difficult it is to go on a missionary journey. Albert Muller says this, a life of ease, comfort, and prosperity does not await people zealous for God and his kingdom. Let me just say that first line again. A life of ease, comfort, and prosperity does not await people zealous for God and his kingdom. Quite the contrary. Acts shows us the immense suffering that awaits the faithful servants of Christ, yet despite that suffering, it reveals the grace, mercy, and power of God. He is worthy. So let's go to him in prayer. 
Father, we do come to you. We thank you so much for your word that we're about to read. The biblical narrative that shows your redemptive plan through your son, Jesus Christ, that if we would believe and that we would confess and we would surrender our lives, that we would come after you, that we would abide in you, that you would make us disciples. Father, I pray over this church right now that we would be disciples who make disciples who make disciples and that your kingdom would grow and that we would sacrifice whatever is needed in order to do so. Use us to further your kingdom in Christ's name, amen. Acts chapter 13, let's get through 12 verses this morning, shall we? Here we go. Now there, we're in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And they arrived in Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elmas, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord was upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when they saw that he had what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. First thing I'm going to see this morning as we look at what disciple makers are, disciple makers listen to the Spirit and are led by the Spirit. We see really quickly here in the first few verses of chapter 13 that the church has gathered, the church in Antioch, this is the church of, of Gentile believers who become the sending church of the early church. They are beginning to pray and they're beginning to fast and they're beginning to worship. They are gathered together intently listening on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide them. Francis Chan says it this way, the early church didn't need the energetic music, great videos, attractive leaders, or elaborate lighting to be excited about being a part of God's body. The pure gospel was enough to put them in a place of awe. I mean, think about that for just a second. You don't need lighting, you don't need music, you don't need mist, you don't need lasers, you don't need any of the other things that a lot of people are doing right now to try to make it exciting. We need the pure gospel of Jesus Christ to gather together, to be, to be filled with his spirit, to listen to his spirit, to listen to his word, and to be guided by him. And this is what the early church did, and this is what God wants to see in his church. From the very beginning, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, as the spirit descended on them and filled them at Pentecost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. They were a spirit-led church, a spirit-filled church, a church that gathered for worship 
and fasting. Churches today have a choice. They will choose to function as a missional church or as a maintenance church. A mission of a church is spirit-driven. We see this in the very early verses of chapter 13. A maintenance church is man-driven. You see, the difference is a church that gathers together and earnestly seeks God's will for their lives, earnestly seeks God, what do you have for us? We desperately wanna hear from you. We wanna know exactly what the next step is, is a church that prays. It's mission-driven. A church that falls back into, this is what we do. These are the programs we have. This is the calendar we function under. This is, this is it. You find yourself in maintenance mode, man-driven. Oh, we like this, we like this, we like this. But what if we stopped and we prayed? Last week, I think one of the most beautiful sounds I've heard in the sanctuary in a very long time was just the out loud prayers that were taking place in the pews. Just to hear you calling out names of lost loved ones that you desperately wanna see Jesus Christ come and redeem powerful, prayerful churches are mission-minded churches. A missional church is a praying church. A maintenance church is a program church. My desire is that we would be a praying church, a church that gathers in worship, gathers in awe of the gospel of Jesus Christ and who prays together, seeks the spirit together. Jesus said a lot about fasting. And in Matthew chapter six, he addresses it on the Sermon on the Mount in 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees and seeks will reward you. He goes on, he gets questioned again in Matthew chapter nine, verses 14 through 15. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. The early church, this church in Antioch, as they're praying, they're fasting. They're hungering for God to lead and guide them. So it doesn't say if you fast, it says when you fast. Jesus assumes that his followers will fast, that there will be something that they do and they will follow in fasting and they will hunger for him and his righteousness. And so what we need to remember is fasting is, to be, is something to be done privately that benefits the kingdom publicly. Fasting is not something we do publicly to benefit us privately. So it's not something that uh, we joked about this in the elders meeting, and I told them I would either be flesh-led or spirit-led. It's not something you post on social media and say, I just wanna let you guys know I'm fasting over the next month. Y'all didn't think that was funny, huh? Yeah, they didn't either. Okay, so, you know, it's not one of those things where you're like, I just wanna let you guys know. This is what I'm doing. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be fasting. I'm not gonna be on social media. I'm not gonna be doing this. I'm not gonna be doing this. No, it's something that we do privately. It does benefit the church publicly. 
but it's not something we do publicly to benefit us privately. Fasting is not done to feel like a better Christian. Fasting is done to feel closer to Christ and his will. That's exactly what this early church was doing. They were fasting. Fasting for the spirit. So if you are a believer, I I wouldn't call us to an, an open fast. I wouldn't call us to that because I think that would be public. But as believers in here, I know that God is gonna put on your heart when to fast. Not if to fast, but when to fast. And that would simply mean that you are so hungry for God that you want to hear what the next step is. You want to listen to the spirit and you want to be led by the spirit. And so you're so hungry that what you decide to do is to feed on God's word. You know what? Earthly food's great, but I'm so hungry for God. Have you got to a point in your life where that was you? I just desperately need to hear from him. And I don't want anybody else, and this is between me and God, and I want, to, I want to fast, and I want to be in his word, and I want to feed on his word, and I want him to lead in God. I want to listen to the spirit, and I want to be led by the spirit. And while they were worshiping, verse two, the, and the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and then sent them off. Set apart for me. Set apart. Now, a lot of us in here, we're like, hey, look, I'm, I'm no Paul. I'm no Barnabas. I don't feel like the church needs to lay hands on me and send me out. I just don't know if I'm set apart. You're set apart for him. And, and I'm gonna prove it in scripture. First Peter. Just a couple of verses here. Very first chapter, first Peter. I'll have it on the, on the screen. But I want you to see this. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles. Some of you get nervous when we say the word elect. Of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Look, you are elect exiles. You are separated. You are set apart. There's something different about you. You are chosen. These are for Christians who have been scattered in the dispersion. You are elect. And listen to how you're elect. Listen to this. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God the Father, you're about, to see the, you're about to see the Trinity in Scripture. Are you ready? The foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ. Whew. Man, I just stopped this week when I was reading that, and I was like, there is purpose in every redeemed life. You are an elect exile by the foreknowledge of God. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit for a purpose of being obedient to Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, you are an elect exile. If you are in Christ and you are redeemed, you are chosen by the foreknowledge of God. You are filled with his spirit for sanctification so that he can bring you along this path to obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, what was the thing that Jesus said right before he went up? Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Wow, this This is what we're called to. For the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Jumping down to verse 13. Therefore, since you're elect exiles by the foreknowledge of God, sanctified by the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, preparing your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Listen, you are elect exiles, called by the foreknowledge of God, filled with the Holy Spirit for sanctification to obedience to Jesus Christ. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. And the first action you need to do is say goodbye to the old and hello to the new. Do not... Do not mess around with the things that you did in your former ignorance. Don't fall back into sin, but follow after him. Walk in him. Be a disciple who makes disciples. These are exciting verses. And we see the early church. They prayed. They fasted. They listened, and they were led by the Spirit. Second thing, disciple makers seek opportunities to teach and seek people to take. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. So they went to a port city. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus, which is an island. And when they arrived, the closest port there, they arrived at Salamis and proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. That's John Mark. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. Now, here's what we learn. They sought an opportunity. And where did they begin? They began with people who were familiar. They began in the synagogues. They began with Jews, people who already had a knowledge of of God. They began with people that they had things in common with. So as we leave these walls, as we head out as disciples who make disciples, guess where we go? We go to people who have things in common with us. We go to sporting events. We go to, I don't know where else you go, but you go to uh, work, you go to hobbies, you go to interests, you go to things. Because if you're not an athlete, you're like, I don't go to sporting events. But we go to things where we have a commonality with other people and we use that as a place and a platform to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've already got something in common. Use that as an opportunity to proclaim and take somebody with you. They took John Mark. Now, John Mark, he's been around the church and you know, the last chapter, chapter 12, They're praying at his mom's house, which is probably a pretty wealthy house because there's a gate. You know, remember, Peter shows up, knocks on the gate. The servant girl comes out and she's like, oh, I hear Peter. And she runs back and doesn't let him in. I mean, this is a pretty big house, pretty wealthy house. This is John Mark's mother's house. And so they take him along for the ride. And then somewhere along the way, verse 13, we won't get to it this week. But now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Phrygia and Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. At some point, John Mark said, guys, I didn't, I didn't count the cost. This is a little more difficult than I expected. Maybe he became homesick. Maybe he missed mama's cooking. I don't know. Maybe he missed that comfortable bed. You ever been on a mission trip and got homesick because you missed your bed? Yep. There's a lot of us that have felt that way. You ever been on a mission trip and miss mama's cooking? Yep. There's a lot of times where you're like, I don't know. I don't know if this is what I signed up for. And so he left, and in Acts chapter 15, you can flip over verse 36 through 39, he decides, I think I'm going to try it again. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia 
and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Listen, if we're gonna seek opportunities and seek people to take, I want you to understand something. Discipleship is difficult. And sometimes, you're in, this is a shocker. Sometimes discipleship causes disagreements. What? In the church? No. People don't disagree in the church. They're united. <laughs> Amen. You know, it's a, y'all are like, that's uncomfortable again. He's talking about election, talking about difficulties in the church. You know, sometimes it causes difficulties, but here's, the, here's what we need to know. When we choose opportunities to proclaim the gospel, when we choose people to take along with us, God gets the glory because who would have thought that the one that they're talking about would write a gospel, a Holy Spirit-inspired gospel of Jesus Christ, John Mark. You never know what happens when you decide to invest in a young life. When you decide to say, you know what? I'm gonna pour into this, I'm gonna take them along with me. I'm gonna show them what it looks like to be disciple who makes disciples. You never know what God's gonna use. I read an article, it said it all started with a Sunday school teacher. A Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball won a shoe store clerk to Jesus. His name was D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody traveled to England and, he, and awakened the heart of a young pastor, F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer became one of the great Bible expositors. He came to the USA and preached on college campuses and was used to convert a student to Christ named Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman, he attended one of Moody's meetings in Chicago and became D.L. Moody's coworker. Wilbur Chapman employed an ex-baseball player to be his assistant named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday became a great evangelist and preached in Charlotte, North Carolina. At a meeting organized by Billy Sunday's Layman's Evangelistic Club, they renamed it, thank goodness, Christian Businessmen's Committee. And so the CBMC invited an evangelist to Charlotte, and his name was Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham preached in a tent meeting where there was a young Billy Graham who gave his life to the Lord. Billy Graham went on to preach revival after revival after revival, and people came to know the Lord. It all began with a Sunday school teacher. Listen, we're all called to be disciples who make disciples, and it begins here. Let's invest in a spiritual heritage that goes from generation to generation to generation. You have no idea what can happen if you decide to use a common interest to proclaim the gospel and take somebody along with you. Oh, you like this? I like this. Hey, why don't we go do this together? You like cooking? You like baseball? You like golf? You like running? You like this? Let's go. Let's make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Final point, disciple makers encounter opposition and engage the lost. Verse six, when they had gone through the whole island, they went all the way across as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, which kind of is an oxymoron, really. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Alemus, his other name, the magician, for that was the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Look at verse 10 there with me. And he said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? The question is, what makes straight paths to the Lord crooked? The answer, it is anything that gets in the way of people's opportunity to hear the gospel and receive salvation. Anything that gets in the way. This guy, Bar-Jesus, as he's referred to, which means son of Jesus or son of Savior, he's carrying the name of Jesus, but he's not a follower of Jesus. He's carrying the name of Jesus, but yet he's in the way of people receiving Jesus by his actions, by his attitudes, by the things he's saying. Let me ask you, how many people have made the straight path of hearing the gospel crooked by the way that they carry the name of Jesus? There are people who carry the name of Jesus who are making it difficult on people to hear the clear path of salvation because of their lifestyle, their actions, their attitudes, the words that they say. They're not representing Jesus the way he should be represented. Am I right? And so, don't make the straight path crooked. As C.S. Lewis said, for you will certainly carry out God's purpose however you act but it makes a difference to you whether you serve like Judas or like John. It matters to you how you serve, like Judas or like John. Judas, he carried the name of Jesus. He carried the name of disciple, but he couldn't count the cost. He didn't consider his conduct. He didn't commit himself to action. A disciple does those three things. So in application, count the cost. If we call ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ, we have to count the cost. We have to be willing to say everything else is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Everything else is rubbish compared to using what God has given me, the gifts, the attitudes, the actions, and the resources he's given me to, pro- to proclaim the gospel. You gotta count the cost Today, maybe, maybe that's you for the first time. Maybe you agree with Jesus, but let me ask you, are you abiding in Jesus? Have you submitted your life to him? Really, have you said, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to make the calls. I want to surrender my life to you. Count the cost. The second one, commit to action. Church, we're called to action. We're set apart. We are elect exiles by the foreknowledge of God with the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Commit to action, commit to obedience today. If there's something in your life that you know goes against being obedient to Jesus Christ, today's the day to repent of that, to say, I'm going in the wrong direction and the sanctification of the Spirit, the Spirit in me is bringing conviction and so I just wanna lay that out at your feet, God. Commit to action. And finally, consider your conduct. And I say that to ask you, is your manner of life 
making straight paths for people to hear the gospel? Or are you making them crooked? Are you making it hard for people to hear the clear gospel message by your action, by your attitudes, by the words that you say, by the way you conduct yourself? Well, as Peter said, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Say goodbye to the old and go after obedience to Jesus Christ. Let's be disciples who make disciples. This morning, we have a great opportunity to see as we have one of our own baptized whose parents decided that they were gonna make disciples in their home. And so we're gonna get to celebrate at at the end of this with baptism as we celebrate with, with a family of our own. But I'm gonna ask you at this time as we move into a time of response to respond in one of those three ways. To count the cost, to, I forgot the third one, the second one. Commit to action. And the third one was? Consider your conduct, thank you. That would be my challenge to you this morning. So let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you so much that you've called us. We thank you so much that you've, by the foreknowledge that you filled us with your spirit, that you've equipped us to live a life of holiness. Apart from you, we can do nothing, absolutely nothing. God, help us to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Help us to be disciples who make disciples. Help us to count the cost. Lord, help us to consider your ways and and follow after you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Go to our website, metaviewbaptist.com, or subscribe to hear more sermons like this, or to get more information about how to be involved at Metaview Baptist.